0: I want everybody at our Apple Valley campus to welcome all of our other campuses. Savage, Spirible, Minnetrista. We're glad you're watching. It's exciting. Well, we have uh, been in a series called Why, God, Why? And we are wrapping up the final uh, series. And I just want to say that it has been a great series. I've enjoyed all the questions, all the people that have talked to me about it, and uh, really enjoyed looking at the life of Job. And we're going to continue to look at the life of Job and hopefully get a few more answers. I'll hopefully give you a few more questions to chew on. And uh, hopefully this will be something that you'll leave taking something with you and uh, give you something to process. And maybe you don't need it today, but you might need it someday And uh, it's been just a really, really good series for us to dig a little deeper. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Job chapter 42. Uh, Obviously, if we started in Job chapter 1, we're going to end at Job 42. And uh, that's where we're going in just a minute. But let me give an overview. Uh, I know we have visitors. I know that people don't make every part of the series. But let me give you just a recap of where we've been in the book of Job Uh, The story of Job starts in Job chapter 1. We get a glimpse into the life of Job. Uh, He's a great guy. The Bible says he's righteous. There's nobody like him. He's blameless. He's an amazing guy. And in Job chapter 1, we get a glimpse at a challenge that goes on in heaven between Satan and God. And Satan's saying that if you take away the hedge of protection around Job, the guy's going to crumble because he's bigger on the outside than he is on the inside. And God says, okay, you can go so far, but no farther. And so Job uh, has these attacks happen and immediately uh, loses all 10 of his children. He loses all of his possessions, but still stays true to God. Satan says, well, if you let me go further, uh, I'll, I'll touch his body. I'll punish him with his own sickness. And God's like, okay, but you've got to keep him alive. And so Satan goes only as far as God will allow him to go and goes and, and tortures Job with boils and sores and it's just terrible. And in all of this, Job is confused. How many know Job would be confused? We'd be confused in this, okay? Job's confused. He's trying to figure out like, why in the world is this happening to me? What's going on? Um, but he doesn't sin. The Bible's very clear that he doesn't sin. He's confused. He's venting. He's wondering why he's even on this earth. He's, he's, he's trying to figure it all out but he doesn't sin. And and he's confused in this because he's saying, there was a day that I was blessed. And how many like being blessed? You know what I mean? You like being blessed. He said, there was a day when I was so blessed that I would show up at the city gates and people would like cover their mouths because they wanted to hear what I had to say. There was a day when I was so blessed that I would show up. They'd say, there's a guy that is so blessed. He's so amazing. God's favor rests on him. Man, I love having God's favor. I love when things break my way. And so I can understand what Job is saying. He's saying, there was a day. I was, I was rolling it. I was so good. That's like chapter 29 of Job. And he's like, I was doing so good. And then all of a sudden, bad. Bad. And now I go to the gates, and people mock me, and they say that I'm a sinner, and I'm, I'm examining my heart, and I'm looking inside, and I don't see anything wrong, and I don't know of any secret things that are going on, and, and, and I'm just so confused. And so in all this confusion, he's trying to figure it out, and, and God doesn't give him an explanation. God doesn't give him an answer, God doesn't give him an explanation, but instead God goes and tells him how great he is, and he says things like in Job thirty-nine twenty-seven. he says to Job, does the eagle soar at your command and build his nest on high? And he's saying, Job, I've done this, i put all the animals in order, I've done all these great things, the eagle doesn't obey you, but guess what, the eagle obeys me. And by the way, I've created a galaxy, I've created this world, and uh, if you want to critique me, why don't you build your own galaxy and then get back to me? So this is what's going on, and, and in the midst of this, he's realizing, I can't critique God. And how many realize, when you really read the book of Job, you realize you cannot critique God? Some of us say, why, God, why? And we critique what he's doing, and it's amazing that we as mere humans critique Almighty God. Uh, but we do it all the time, don't we? we? We just wonder why the president does this. We wonder why our boss does that. I thought I might get an amen on the boss thing, you know, but anyway, yeah. You know, we just critique things. We critique the coach. How many know that when you watch a football game on TV, you're like, what is he thinking? Or is that just me? Okay, because Joe Gibbs, he won three Super Bowl championships. Three Super Bowl Amazing coach. And he was saying one day that he was going to the stadium in a taxi, and the taxi cab driver didn't even realize where the stadium was. Joe Gibbs has given him directions to the stadium. Okay. And he's telling me, you got to go up here. I got to get to the stadium. And all of a sudden the taxi driver realizes this is Joe Gibbs, Super Bowl coach. This is the coach of the Redskins. And he says, are you Joe Gibbs? And he says, yes, I am. And he goes, hey, Joe, you should throw long. <laughs> and he so this guy doesn't even know where the stadium is. And he's going to tell me how I should coach. I've won three, okay. So we, we see in the story, Job, he's just trying to figure it out, but God says, don't criticize me, and Job realizes, okay, God, you're right, I'm nothing, you're everything. And in Job 42, 10, this is how the story comes to the conclusion. It says, after Job had prayed for his friends, because his friends were bad-mouthing him, and God said, if you pray for him, I'll, I'll take care of them.'" It says, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. And in Job 42, let's skip down to verse 12. It says, The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. He doubled all of this stuff. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation, and so he died old and full of years. And so it ends where Job gets all of these things back, and he gets double of everything except for the kids. And somebody pointed this out to me. They said, the only reason he probably didn't get double of his kids is because his kids went on to be in eternity, and so his kids were already with God in eternity, so God really doubled it by half of them being in eternity and half of them being on earth. I thought it was an interesting thought. But everything else was doubled here on earth because he wasn't taking his camels and his oxen and all that stuff with him. So he gets all this back, and in in his life, he's realizing, man, this is just an amazing thing, a turnaround. He's like, I was good, and then it went terrible, and now it's good again, and he never gets an answer. He never gets an answer, and a lot of our reading of this is looking at this, realizing maybe a lot of what Job went through is for our benefit. Maybe a lot of what he went through was to show how great God was, but also to give us an example in our pain and suffering. And so as I conclude this series, I just want to help us to live with meaning in pain and suffering. Live with meaning in, in pain and suffering and evil because if you live long enough, how many know that pain and suffering happens to everybody? It just does. It just does. And in case you didn't know it, the death rate is still 100%. There's no exercise. There's no diet. that can stop it. All right? They haven't figured that out, all right? So there's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be this, and there's going to be good, and there's going to be bad, and there's, it's, but there's going to be pain and suffering. And even though we're focusing on pain and suffering, let's not forget God is good. God is good. He's good when it's good, and he's good when it's bad. And he's good when it's good again, and he's good when it's bad. And does that make sense? Because it should. God is good. But in this world, we're going to have suffering. And recently, a, a TV minister was preaching about Job. And he said, I think all the things happened to Job because he thought in his mind maybe something bad would happen to him someday. And so that's why it happened. Because he thought negatively, then it all came on him. And to that, I say, not a chance. Not a chance. There's no way that this guy was living righteous and God says, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one else like him on the earth. He's blameless, he's upright, he fears God, he shuns evil and then you can tell me that because he thought in his mind just for a minute, like things are so good, I wonder if things will ever go bad. Have you ever thought that? Like things are going so good, you think, well, I wonder if things will ever go bad and what would I do if things went bad? Well, just the fact that you have that thought doesn't mean it's going to come to pass. So I don't believe that, not for a minute, that Job all of a sudden, because he thought, well, maybe it's going so good, this happened. No, 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 no. This was a challenge in the heavenlies that we don't understand all the details of, but we know that God looked good in it. God came out on top. Job came out on top. Satan looked bad because he thought that Job had nothing on the inside, and he found out that Job had everything on the inside. And so I don't think that Job just wished it upon himself. I believe the sun shines on the good and the bad. I believe rain falls on the good and the bad, just like Matthew 5.45 says. Now, in this world, we're going to have suffering because the world is broken. We talked about that in this series. The world is broken and the whole world is, is agonizing and groaning and we're going to have pain and suffering in this world. It's not always going to be sunshine. There are going to be times when we are going to have pain and suffering, but I want to tell you this, I believe that you will have pain and suffering, but you will not be crushed because God knows how much you can handle, okay? God's word says in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen in the message translation, it says, no test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face, All you need to remember is that God will never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it. It doesn't matter what you're facing. God will get you through it. God won't push you past what you can handle. And I've got a simple illustration for you here. It's a simple cardboard box, okay? Just like any old cardboard box, except this doesn't have any advertising on it, all right? But this cardboard box is just like any other cardboard box, and you may not have noticed this, and this might come in helpful and handy to those of you that ever have to move someone, okay? At the bottom of every cardboard box, it says if it's taped correctly and done the right way, it gives weight limits for the box, okay? And it says, this box has been tested. This cardboard box, this inexpensive cardboard box have been, has been tested, and it says it can only handle 65 pounds. Now, how are you getting 65 pounds in here, first of all, okay? But it says the weight limit, it says it right there, little logo, weight limit, 65 pounds, that's it. Interesting thing, though, it says bursting test, It says 200 pounds per square inch, and then this box burst. How many would like to see that test, you know? (laughs) Okay, now, now, if the maker of this box can say, I know what it can handle, and if used correctly, it can handle 65 pounds, and if used incorrectly, it's going to burst at 200 pounds. If at an inexpensive box right here, somebody knows what it can handle, the maker of the box knows that. How many know that the maker of us knows how much we can handle? Now, you're like, but, but I, I, Lord, I didn't think I could handle that. How many have thought that? Like, I didn't realize I could handle so much. And in case, Lord, maybe you might want to lower the rating on me a little bit. <laughs> I've prayed that prayer before. I've prayed that prayer. When Logan was born, our youngest son Logan was born, um, He was born, and he had strep B, and this was right before strep B was a a mandatory test. And uh, Becca was so tired from the delivery, and it was late at night, and so uh, she fell asleep, and she's exhausted, and, you know, it looks good. It's our second child. and How many know second child is totally different than the first? So then I go home to get some sleep because I realize I'm coming back in the morning. And all of a sudden, I wake up in the morning to a phone call that our son has stopped breathing three times in the middle of the night. And they've had to bring him back. They've had to resuscitate him. And I get this phone call, and I'm like, are you kidding me? And they tell me my son has strep B. He has stopped breathing three times. He's in the ICU. Get to the hospital. So I come rushing to the hospital, and you know what my prayer was? It was basically, lower the box rating, Lord. I said, this is my prayer. I'll tell you. I said, God, I don't want to be a hero. I don't want to write a book. I was screaming this out in my car. I said, God, I don't want to be a hero. I don't want to write a book. I don't want to be a sermon illustration. I don't want to be on Christian TV. I don't want to travel the world. I just want my son to live. And that's what I prayed. And I was essentially praying, like, God, lower the level. I don't know what I can handle. But right now, I feel like the bursting level is coming on. Maybe you've prayed that prayer sometimes. And maybe it went beyond what you thought you could handle. But I'm just telling you, whatever you pray, whatever you go through, we have got to believe that we will suffer in this world. It's going to happen. There's good and bad. We've got to take both. But we've got to realize that God will not test us beyond what we can handle. He knows our rating. Do you believe that? I believe that. I believe that God knows our rating, and He won't test us beyond what we can handle. Now, in Job's pain he realizes that God is there. God is there. And we've got to realize that too, that God is there in our pain and in our suffering. We've got to realize that he is there. And I want to tell you this, if you're going through pain and suffering, can I tell you this? Spend more time in God's word than surfing the web. Okay? Spend more time in God's word in your pain and suffering, realizing that he's there because he's going to speak to you through his word And I I think our common tendency now is Google it, right? Like, oh, what in the world is this disease? Google that, baby. How many know you Google it and faith and it just right out of the room, right? (laughs) Google just sucks your faith away or wiki or whatever or meta reference or whatever, you know? I'm going to read God's word and realize that he knows what I can handle He knows where I'm at, and he's never going to leave me or forsake me. And that's what Hebrews 13.5 says. And if you're going through pain and suffering, I want you to hear this. Hebrews 13.5 says, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And Job realized in his pain and suffering that God never left him, and you need to realize that too. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Now, an interesting thing in studying this verse Interesting thing, I found out there are five negatives in this verse. And if you really wanted to write it the way that it's actually really, really, really written, here's how you'd have to write it. God would say, I will not, I will not cease to sustain and uphold you. I will not, I will not, I will not let you down. How many likes that he, they like it that he said it five times, you know? Like, I will not, I will not, I will not, I will not, I will not. I mean, he is just getting it through to you that he is with you in your pain and suffering. He will not let you down. We've got to grab hold of that. Now, in the midst of pain and suffering, I believe this also. In our suffering, we won't be crushed. Because of this, God will give us peace. God will give us peace. Have you ever observed somebody that's going through what looks like a living hell and they're just at peace and they come to church and they're worshiping God and you're kind of like, They're going to break any moment. Bursting level, bursting. It's right there. I can tell. I can tell. And they're not. And they're in peace. And you're just thinking, there's no, how are they doing it? Here's how they're doing it. Because God is giving them peace. God is giving them peace. That's what Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, that saying, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, it actually has two meanings. Okay, first of all, how many know the peace of God is just like too amazing for us to understand, right? Okay, that's the first meaning. It means that it's so amazing, the peace of God is so amazing that you just can't understand it. But there's a second meaning in this passage where it says the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Here's the second meaning. It means the peace of God is so amazing, it's so beyond your understanding, you can't produce it. You can't produce it. No matter how smart you are, no matter how many books you've read, no matter what your degree is, you cannot produce the peace that God gives you. There's not a pill that can equate to the peace that God can do. And he's saying this peace that transcends all understanding, nothing can produce what God gives you. And that's how, in the midst of pain and suffering, we realize that God is with us and it transcends our understanding. It's it's beyond us, but it transcends even the things we've learned and we have peace in the midst of the storm. It's a spiritual peace that only God can give. And that's why when people are asked that, like, how in the world can you sustain, how can you live with the tragedy that has happened to you? And they say, God's grace is getting me through this. They're not just saying something. They, that's real. That is real. It's the peace of God that is getting them through that, that is helping them. It's something that only God can give you in that moment. And I'll tell you what, I'm so grateful that he does. I'm grateful that he gives us that peace, that he produces it within us. Now, in our pain and suffering, if we're going to live with meaning and purpose, can I tell you this? Pour out and squeeze out as much of the good as you can in the pain. What do I mean by that? I mean in your pain and in your suffering, whatever you can do that's good, squeeze it out. Squeeze it out. I mean do a fearless moral inventory of your life. I mean spend time in God's Word like you never have before. Take a moment to say, what do I need to do in light of this? What should I have done? What do I need to correct? Who do I need to forgive? What do I need to do differently? Do that inside. And then write, write, and write. Pour out. If you can write songs, write songs. If you can write poems, write poems. If you can do anything, let it pour out of you. Stephen Curtis Chapman, at the death of his daughter, a famous songwriter, when his daughter died, he just poured out and wrote songs and wrote songs and wrote songs, a whole entire CD that came from that grief and tragedy, and it just poured out of him. He was squeezing out of that pain any meaning, any purpose, any help that he could give to other people because he said, I'm just going to squeeze everything I can out of this. It wasn't because he's like, wow, here's another opportunity for a CD. It was, I'm hurting, I'm grieving. God, in the midst of this pain, in the midst of this suffering, what can you bring about good in this? And we should be asking God that. Fanny Crosby was blind her entire life. And in her blindness, she still went and wrote 8,000 songs. 8,000 songs. Hymns to the Lord. 8,000. I had to check that online just to make sure that was real. I read that in a book. I was like, are you kidding me? She really did. She just, and she, this is what she said about her blindness. She said, you know what? I was blind, and I wrote all these songs for God, and I can't wait till I get to heaven because the first thing my eyes will ever see is Jesus. That was her perspective. I mean, you talk about squeezing everything you can out of pain and suffering. That's squeezing it, man. That's squeezing it. When we squeeze out any good out of pain and suffering, the world is confounded and God looks good. And they're intrigued and it's just like shouting, turn your life over to God. Turn your life over to God. Turn your life over to God because he will give you a peace in the midst of the struggle that you cannot understand. Man, squeeze everything you can out of it. Now, another thing, if we're going to live with meaning and purpose in pain and suffering, I got to say this, Realize that if we start comparing ourselves to other people, that's poison. What do I mean by that? How many know that behind the why, God, why is why me? Pain and suffering happen to you. You're like, why, God, why? I mean, really, it's, you should say, why me, God? Why not them? That sounds pretty selfish, doesn't it? And, and just for a minute, if you could give your sickness to somebody else, who would you give it to? You're like, well, I got a list. (laughs) That's another sermon series, all right? Forgiveness. Really, who would you give it to? C.S. Lewis, when he was asked, why do bad things happen to good people? He said, why not? They're the only ones that can handle it. He knew that God would give them the peace, the peace of God that would transcend all understanding. And so he's like, why not? They're the ones that get the peace on them. So... You know, you look at this story of Job, and you realize he never once says, Lord, I wish you'd give this to my friends. Lord, uh, why don't you give it to somebody else? He's just like, Lord, it's on me, and I'm trying to figure this out. I'm trying to figure this out. And so if you have pain and suffering and other people are enjoying favor, they're in chapter 29, and you're in chapter 30. And instead of going, Lord, bring them over a chapter, why not pray, Lord, let them skip this chapter? Or Lord, if that's the chapter that's in their life, let them experience it. But for me, I'm just going to try to figure out what's going on in this chapter in my life. And we should rejoice that other people don't have to have our suffering. We should rejoice that they don't have to go through it. And instead of saying, you know, look at them, they got their car in the house. You know, we get that negative spirit all over us. We just say, God, I'm going to glorify you in whatever I've got. I'm going to glorify you in whatever my position is. That's how I'm glorifying you, and I'm not going to compare to other people. Let me ask you a question on this. Have you ever prayed, Lord, if anything's going to happen to anyone in my family, my neighborhood, my church, my community, let it happen to me. If anything bad's going to happen, I'll take one for the team. We don't usually pray that one, do we? Most of our prayers are, Lord, traveling mercies, Lord, safety, no stifles either, Lord, Uh, all good things, everything good, keep us safe and protected, and good, 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 amen, you know, how many of you have been on a trip and say, Lord, Lord, if they have an accident, may they glorify you in it, you know, I mean, you'd be like, no, no, don't pray that, don't pray that, you know. One day I was putting Connor to bed, and uh, he was just a little kid, he's our oldest son, And he said, hey, Dad, we had been to a a ball game and he had seen the Make-A-Wish thing and the little kid threw out the first pitch and he realized this child was probably going to die unless there was a miracle. And uh, he said, hey, Dad, if I could take the sickness of the entire world on me so no other kid would have to have a disease, he goes, I'd do it. I was like, okay, you just blew blew me away there, son. You just wow.'" Wow, you would do that? And I think about how selfish our prayers are. Maybe we've got to be lining up, God, if there's persecution in this world on the church, let it come to America. Lord, if somebody's got to have something to show how good you are in good times and bad times, I'm in. Dangerous prayer, isn't it? (laughs) One that a lot of you are like, Go to your next point. Go to your next. Just move on. Don't even linger on that one, Pastor Rob. Just move on. All right, let me get you the last one here. Heaven tips the scales. Let me say it again. Heaven tips the scales. In light of pain and suffering, the Bible is very clear... That whatever we're going through, our present sufferings are just tiny in comparison. The Bible says they're not even worthy to be compared to the eternal glory. And it says, heaven tips the scales. No matter how bad it is, when you compare it to heaven, it goes like that. Heaven wins. And I want to tell you something. If we don't believe in heaven, preach heaven, and believe in heaven and look forward to heaven, suffering is going to hurt a lot worse than it should. Because when you look at heaven and you realize that this slice of your life is this much, but eternity is on and on and on and on, and God has all of eternity to make it up to you no matter what you've had happen to you, that kind of tips the scales. But here's the problem. We've stopped talking about heaven. We kind of talk like everybody goes to heaven. It doesn't matter what religion. It doesn't matter how bad they are. When was the last time you were at a funeral where somebody kind of said, don't think so? right? It doesn't matter. They're like, oh, we're in a better place. Hallelujah. Amen. Having one with the Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. Right? Right? The Bible says that unless we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, that we perish and we spend eternity in hell, and we believe in hell in this church. It's a terrible place that God doesn't want anyone to go to. But we also believe that when we're right with God, we go to heaven. And no matter what happens to us on earth, no matter how bad it is, in light of heaven, heaven tips the scales. And that's the perspective we're supposed to have. The eternal glory, it outweighs all the things that we're going through. That's what 2 Corinthians 4 says. It outweighs it. Don't lose sight of heaven. And I think that we've, we, we've got so in love with being healthy and living long lives that we forgot about holiness and we forgot about heaven. God's goal for you on this earth is not to be you know, the health and wealth person. God's goal is for you to bring glory and honor to his name, whether it's chapter 29 or chapter 30. You're to bring glory and honor to his name. And ultimately, no matter what life you go through, don't compare, but realize that heaven's going to tip the scales and stop being so in love with this earth. I think we're way too in love with this earth. We are way too in love with it. And in light of what is waiting for us, we should have our eyes fixed on heaven, fixed on eternity, saying, God, how good is it going to be? Another question for you. What if we don't forget our pain on this earth when we're in heaven? What if God wipes away the tears and corrects everything? Okay, okay, I was born with a caved-in chest, and so I don't know what it's like to get a full breath of air, you know? I don't know what it's like to have fully expanded lungs. I was born in, okay, so what what if when I go to heaven, I still remember what it was like, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, this is so great. Now I can really praise God. What if people that were in wheelchairs on earth go to heaven and don't forget that they were in a wheelchair but are healed with a glorified body and they are running around and jumping at a whole other charismatic, crazy level? You know what I'm saying? And they're like jumping and jumping and jumping. What if blind eyes have a a glimpse of God in such a way because they know they were blind, but now they're healed and they have a glimpse of God that's so amazing they can't even explain it to you and I? Just a thought. What if... We get it taken care of, but we still remember it. But in remembering it, we worship God more. I thought about that. People that suffer and and work and strive to achieve something. How many know that if I work hours and hours and hours to get something, when I finally get it, I take care of it and I appreciate it because I know the pain and the suffering that went into getting it. And how many know that when you give it to kids and they didn't have to work for it and all that, they leave it outside and the neighbors steal it and it rusts up and it goes away. And they go like, oh, well, yeah. I just thought, what if in light of heaven, we still remember what it was like? All right, last thing. In Job chapter nine, don't turn there, but I'll read it for you. Chapter nine, verses 32 and 33. Job's just pouring out his heart and he's like, man, I'm, I'm just wishing there was something here for me And he's talking about God, and he says this. He's not a man like me that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. He says this. If only there were someone to arbitrate between us, to lay his hand upon us both, someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would frighten me no more. He's begging for Jesus. If only there was a mediator, if only there was somebody between God and me that could make this all right, he's getting a glimpse at Jesus. And I'm going to tell you this right now, in light of pain and suffering, Jesus is the only answer that satisfies. It's the only thing. I got to cling to Jesus, I got to hold on to Jesus, and I got to realize that God sent his son to die on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven, and I could live a life of purpose and meaning no matter what, whether it was painful, whether it was good, whatever, but I could say, God, it is all about you, and if you are in pain and suffering, the only answer that is strong enough is Jesus. It's Jesus. He endured pain and suffering, and he took upon himself the suffering on the cross, and he said, I love you so much that I laid down my life for you. Man, if you are suffering, grab hold of Jesus. If you are not suffering, grab hold of Jesus. In this world, we will have troubles, we'll have trials, but the only thing big enough, strong enough, is Jesus. That's who Job was crying out for, and that's who we have the privilege of knowing today.